0: Hello and welcome to EIU Innovate. This is Ryan Hendrickson, I'm Dean of the Graduate School at Eastern Illinois University. And uh, we are very pleased today to have with us Dr. Nicole Hugo. Very excited to talk about uh, her research and her courses. Dr. Hugo uh, is, like so many of our faculty at EIU, very innovative and uh, has an exciting research agenda, coupled with some very interesting courses, one of which I really want to hone in on, which is uh, uh, beer and wine management. Uh, It's that time of year when sometimes people have a cup of holiday cheer, or maybe if you're sick, you have a hot toddy. So we need to investigate this and find out what Dr. Hugo is up to. So I'm very pleased to welcome Dr. Nicole Hugo, who is an assistant professor of hospitality and tourism management. Welcome, Dr. Hugo.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm glad you're here. So let's start off with your your course here, brewery and winery management. Tell us about that course, tell us about how you interact with undergraduates and graduate students, and what do they learn in this course?
1: So this past year I went to a conference and there were a variety of uh, professionals and academics that were there. And a lot of them were really invested in the beer and wine management um, and production of it. There's over 30 colleges in the US that they have a beer or wine program going on. And so I really wanted to get our students at least a basic understanding of beer and wine. And unfortunately, there's so much to know and put into this that it's really hard to just do one class about it. So the way that we structured it was to go and visit some managers at their different establishments. So we went to breweries and wineries in central Illinois and the students had phenomenal opportunities not only to talk to the managers, they gotta pick grapes at the vineyards and learn about the winemaking process, they gotta stomp on grapes, so things that they can't do in a classroom. And the whole point of this was for them to get the variety of perspectives of how they manage their operations because even though they're all in central Illinois, they have a lot of similarities, they do things quite differently and they have different challenges.
0: So wine management in Illinois.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: What are some challenges with producing and creating good wines in Illinois?
1: So one of the big ones was that there was a vineyard that they actually started out in a dry county, and so trying to get a permitting process in order to even yeah that make would be a major challenge was <laughs> no. huge. And then there was um liability issues of you know they're trying to get people to maybe help pick the grapes, and they get volunteers and. You know, someone drops shears through their boots and, you know, you have liability issues there. Yeah. Um, there was some trademarking issues where one of the companies they came up with a name for their winery and in California later on a larger establishment popped up and they were actually told they could no longer use that name and then they had to go through trademarking issues for that. So a variety of things, and that's not even what you think of of the main issues of customer service, of making sure that you have a good quality wine, or an intriguing type of craft beer that's going to attract a larger market.
0: Okay, so let's talk about that, the craft beers. There's so many new microbreweries, and just from my limited experience, it seems like people are, you know, they're really interested in trying a beer made from, say, you know, 30 miles away, or uh, some little village is creating their own beer. So, what's what's going on with that trend, and and what do you see? Um, how's it impacting your course?
1: So, some of the things that we looked at, um, distill brewery, which they don't necessarily call themselves a microbrewery. They call themselves a craft brewery because it's so big. They do a lot of distributing to other, whether it's just bars or uh, restaurants around here. And so one of their big things is that they're reaching so many different people and they're trying to make it so that they're coming up with beers that will have different flavors and be able to hit a variety of people. And that can be really difficult to do because you have so many different things that go into the beer making process. Even just picking out the hops, there's so many different flavors of hops that just trying to narrow down on one of those is really difficult if you don't really know what your target market is interested in.
0: Okay, and how about the graduate students in your courses? How are they, how does it become a graduate level course when you're dealing with beer and winery management?
1: So all of the students, the undergrad and the graduate students, uh, they had different papers that they were writing on research and looking into not only the places that we were going in central Illinois, but the ones that were maybe in the U.S. that were also popular. But the graduate students, they had to come up with their own overall presentation on if they were to have their own brewery or their own winery. What are the overall, everything from their business plan to their aesthetics, what colors are they using, how are they marketing their products, what type of uh, technology are they using in order to make sure that they're efficiently making the product, Uh, thinking about sustainability, so trying to minimize our water usage, um, our overall waste, and so that was a lot of fun because my graduate students were from all different programs. So I said some that were interested in merchandising, others that were interested in sustainability and technology. And so they were able to branch out from the usual areas that they look at and had more of this holistic approach to coming up with how they would operate this facility.
0: Do you have a favorite beer?
1: I'm more of a wine person oh, myself, okay. <laughs> but uh, I, I like That's Hefeweissens. Good.
0: Okay. And well, how about the wines then? Um, or local? You got Any locals that um, you would recommend uh, to our local listeners?
1: So I really like Arpeggios, which is in Paina, Illinois. Um, and they were one of the establishments that let us come out and help with the overall process at their vineyards for picking the grapes and learning about how to distem them. And they're great at not only community collaboration, but they have a variety of different wines. Um, so, my issue is when I go to wineries, sometimes the, the wines are very sweet at a lot of wineries and I like drier wines. Mm-hmm. And so that is one thing that I really like about them is that they have a good variety. Plus the view there is amazing. If you go when it's a little bit warmer, now's yeah. A, yeah. a pretty miserable time to be you know, going outside, but they've got a beautiful patio area where you can just kind of sit out, have a glass of wine or um, just enjoy the view there.
0: Oh, it sounds very nice. So you're doing one more course in the spring related to this and you're building upon, I guess, your existing course on brewery and winery management. So what's what's up with this?
1: So this past semester we focused more on the management process and the decision making of how do you choose certain drinks. And our students, they might have a basic understanding of beer and wine, but particularly when you think about all the different styles and flavors that there are out there. Um, That is a huge challenge for students to get a good grasp on and so we're focusing um, on making beer and wine and understanding what goes into the overall production. So they'll have a chance to make uh, a different uh, style of beer and see the differences of the flavorings that go into it and if they decide to add any flavor to change the overall characteristics of it. And we're going to be doing some tastings and learning about pairing beer and wine with different foods. And then we're going to learn about how to create a logo and come up with an overall brand for the product so that they're able to market it to whatever their ideal customer is.
0: So do you have to be 21 to take the class? You do,
1: absolutely.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, this is fascinating stuff, and I know you, um, a number of universities are focusing on this aspect of a marketplace. And and uh, so in, you're leading the way here with this this effort and certainly innovative and certainly fits with our theme on our podcast. So beyond this you have really an international interest. Um, you currently serve as a chair of our International Education Council and uh, you also have a lot of research that is just an international component especially with regard to tourism. Tell us in general how did you get interested in international topics and then maybe a little bit more specific on your current research projects and directions?
1: So I grew up traveling a lot. My dad's an airline pilot, so we were very fortunate that we were able to go to a lot of places um, in the U.S. and outside of it. And so that really sparked my interest in the tourism industry. And then later on, when I was in graduate school, I really fell in love with this topic called pro-poor tourism. And it's looking at developing countries and determining how you are able to invest in these local establishments so that they're able to better themselves. And so this whole idea that you're not necessarily having this huge luxury hotel coming in and you know everyone staying at the hotel and not really visiting the area, it's more about creating partnerships and having local vendors relying on one another in order to create the overall tourism establishment there. And so from there, I kind of looked at uh, a variety of different countries because everyone does it a little bit differently. And I went down to Costa Rica and Nicaragua in order to see their overall development because Costa Rica is typically more adventure tourism and zip lining and whitewater rafting and yeah. Nicaragua is more culture and you go to you know, the cathedrals and the art markets and it's a very different feel. Okay.
0: Well, how about this research on Jamaica? You know, You've got this published article on Jamaica and the Zika virus. So I've got an interesting combination there.
1: So one of my main things that I look at is overall marketing of international destinations because it doesn't really matter how well you're able to manage your establishment. If you can't get people there, it's pretty much worthless anything that you're doing at the site. And so uh, as you probably remember, a couple years ago, particularly right around the time of the Olympics in Rio, the Zika virus was on uh, a lot of... It was in the news all the time, it was on constantly on people's minds and uh, constantly coming up in conversations, and particularly for Zika, where it wasn't necessarily something that was harmful for every person, and um, you could even take precautions if you, uh, particularly women that were pregnant or trying to get pregnant, were at risk uh, for health uh, issues related to Zika virus. But you could have it where you could take precautions and not necessarily go to areas with a lot of mosquitoes. And so uh, I actually worked on this with a graduate student, and she was really interested in Jamaica, which is why we had picked that country. And we just looked at the overall trends in travelers, and they at least did a very good job of trying to keep their marketing up. So even though they didn't see as many tourists um, as they were projected, if they didn't have this issue... They still did a really good job of trying to combat this and educate people on who is at risk for the Zika virus.
0: What did you find with regard to the safety in going to Jamaica? I've I've had friends who've gone to Jamaica, and they say, yeah, it's great if you go to the hotel, but then they talk about the beaches, and then they have guards at the beaches. And they're like, as long as you stay in the guarded areas, it's fine. But maybe this is a misconception or a little scare mongering that's taken place?
1: So that was one of my big things that I studied overall. Um, When I went to Costa Rica and Nicaragua for my research, um, I was shocked to hear how many people said, you shouldn't go there, it's unsafe. Um, I was going with a roommate of mine to Costa Rica, but I was taking a bus by myself to Nicaragua and a lot of my mom's friends were saying, you know, you need a call every day and yeah, I bet you know, someone can take you off the bus and you know, <laughs> chop you up into little pieces and everything. I heard it all. Okay. And I obviously I had researched ahead of time. Um, there are Costa Rica is and, and Nicaragua at the time were considered much safer than the US and so uh, this is a, a huge interest to me as we hear one incident on the news of something happened. And um, and I actually had this conversation yesterday where someone said, "Did you did you see on the news this person was traveling abroad and they were killed?" And I was like, "Okay, for that country, you know, we've heard of one, you know, homicide in that yeah. area. Where in this year alone, we've had over 500 in Chicago, and that's right up the street from us." Yeah. And so it it is. Uh, there are a lot of misperceptions just based on what's in the media. So overall, the Caribbean islands they are very safe. Um, There is sometimes a misperception that areas are unsafe, and so the tourism establishments will put police in place or they'll put guards in order to make sure that there's at least this illusion that, okay, if there is a threat out there, we're gonna be able to take care of it.
0: I'm glad you you didn't get chopped up. I am too. (laughs) How about your research on Botswana and Malaysia? These are not tourism destinations normally that come up, at least in my mind
1: so this research it was comparing nicaragua botswana and malaysia and i wanted to pick one country from uh, kind of you know that central south america area africa and asia because typically um, when we think about american society if someone's going to travel internationally uh, europe's a really popular place to go and, and maybe those other three continents are not necessarily as popular so i looked at those places and i i had a student uh, group that did an assignment where they had to say, "All right, what are the attractions in the area? How safe is it? What is your perception of these three relatively unknown countries?" And so um, I then came up with a test in order to see if marketing tactics would change a person's perception. And you know this with research—if you the participants can figure out if you have a pre-test and a post-test, okay, you're looking for this type of change. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was really interesting because Nicaragua and Malaysia they had really strong positive increases in perception in terms of what tractions were there, the safety of the area. And even though Nicaragua, Botswana, and Malaysia were all marketed fairly similarly with the amount of attractions and everything there, Botswana really didn't improve very much in the overall perception. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was pretty interesting that I think it's really ingrained in us um, you know, as an American society, of what places are ideal to travel to and what aren't, and then kind of understanding the characteristics who's interested in going to these places. And there are very different characteristics of who's open minded enough to travel to some of these uh, unique places, such as Malaysia or Botswana, and who really just wants to stay in those places that they're familiar with.
0: Yeah, I often think, I guess, just from my own personal experience, as people who are often traveling to Africa. There might be a missionary component, or there might be a safari component, or maybe like a big hunting, big game sort of aspect. But yeah, for my own limitations, I suppose, but I I don't think often about Botswana as a tourist destination, or maybe even Malaysia either. But I guess we can change those perspectives a little bit with improved marketing with the exception of the Botswana case, right?
1: (laughs) Well, and it is pretty interesting because there are people that they look for certain things when they're going on a vacation. I mean, even it can change from time to time. You can be really stressed out with work. You wanna have a relaxing vacation. Maybe it's a little bit more of a, a lull in your life. You want something more exciting. And so that whole idea of understanding the characteristics of who you're targeting is huge in order to figure out how you're going to market these places to attract them to go.
0: You've got another research area uh, which has a fantastic title here. Uh, but first, let me take a selfie personality traits as predictors of travel selfie taking and sharing behaviors. So, what is going on, Dr. Hugo, with this?
1: <laughs> right, so the way that we've used social media and we've shared our experiences, particularly when, with traveling, has changed over the years, and the tourism industry is adjusting to this as well. Um, I remember going to Italy a few years ago, and there was two girls that were trying to take a selfie in, in front of some type of attraction, and I, I even asked them, you know, can I take your picture? And they're like, no, you know, we we got this. And so it's the focus is mainly on the person and how you frame maybe your experience versus maybe the older couple couple that I asked, you know, as they're trying to take a picture of themselves. Would you like me to take your picture? Oh, absolutely. And so we're seeing the shift. um, Particularly, the research has shown that people that are a little bit more narcissistic, Mm -hmm. um, they prefer to have selfies. They have a little bit more control of how they're captured and how they can maybe portray their experience while they're traveling. And so it's really interesting because the way that we sometimes capture our experience and we Share it with other people. Um, you know, some people they could have a horrible vacation, but they spent all this time, all this money, and they went to this really cool place. And they can't really tell, you know, their friends, "Oh, I spent all this money and it was horrific." I'm going to highlight, you know, maybe the great parts of it, and and people can maybe be envious that I had this experience. And so it is very interesting the personality traits with how we're sharing some of this.
0: So is most of the research focused on the personality traits of the people? Doing the selfies. It is.
1: And and part of it is too the overall changes in the way that we've set up our establishment. So, you know, some hotels, they would give out selfie sticks, or if you go to Times Square, you know, you can take a selfie of yourself and it shows up on one of the boards there. And so the whole overall management process has changed too, and and what services we offer people based on what they're interested in in sharing and how they want to have that experience. Yeah, that's
0: really interesting stuff. So, is, is this one of your favorite publications or is one of among your numerous publications, which one stands out as maybe your favorite, if you can do that?
1: I would say, you know, this is a, it's an interesting one and there's a lot of fun things going on here. I really do prefer the ones that look at international destinations though. And I think it's so intriguing because I feel like there's so many changes too, depending on the country, uh, how people perceive destinations and where they're interested in going and what they're interested in doing. Um, I am very interested in sustainability, too, and so I'm working on a different research project right now where we're looking at bed and breakfasts. Uh-huh. Uh, the hotel industry has been pretty good about, if for no other reason for public relations, they're they're trying to be a little bit more mindful about the environment and connecting with community members and thinking about local uh, economic benefits. And the bed and breakfast industry is a very different niche where, uh, it can be very difficult for them to maybe have an establishment that's not as large and they may have different priorities other than sustainability. So that's what I'm looking at right now is if they are implementing any of these practices or if they're looking at becoming a little bit more knowledgeable about it, what areas are they interested in?
0: Are more people going to B&Bs now? Is that What's the trend there?
1: It's a very different niche market. So there's not necessarily more people going, but typically if you're someone that likes a bed and breakfast, you consistently seek that out. And so it's a very different environment. Um, depending on how it's run, you definitely get a chance to know the operators of the bed and breakfast a little bit more. But it's also a chance for you to interact with guests, um, at least if no other time in the morning when you're all able to have that area together in the dining room. And so it is a very different feel staying at a bed and breakfast, where there's a lot more connectedness versus hotels where you can go into your room and you've kind of got this bubble. Even if you leave, you don't really interact with the other guests.
0: Right. Okay. So you've done a, you've got a very active research agenda. And I always like to ask all of our guests on EIUnaVate, when do you write? And when's the most productive time for you to generate uh, your research?
1: So I've been told that you should write every day and take, you know, at least 15 minutes out of your day and write. And I can't necessarily do that. I have to be, you know, completely immersed in what I'm reading and how I'm analyzing the information before I even write it. And so typically when I write, I'm going to uh, get myself prepared for two, three hours of I've got my coffee or I have whatever I need in order to just sit and get in the zone and turn on my music and just focus on that which can be very difficult to do because we have classes to teach and meetings and everything else that go on during the week. So a lot of times on my breaks, um, that's, you know, either spring break, Thanksgiving break, uh, our winter break, that's when I really get a chance to have a, at least a few days that I can sit down and really get in the zone and get a few pages turned out.
0: I was the same way. I couldn't write during the semester. It's very difficult, but uh, I needed the breaks and total concentration. But I couldn't do the music. So what music do you listen to?
1: Uh, a little bit of everything. So it just kind of depends on if I le- need a little bit more energy, you know, uh, it's a little bit more upbeat. Uh, you know, sometimes we start getting burned out, our our brain starts to stop functioning maybe as well. And so then I have it where it's a little bit more uh, instrumental and slower music. And so it just kind of depends on what I need to get through the day.
0: Okay. How about your, your collaborations with graduate students? Um, I know you've won a number of our graduate school awards where you're a mentor for graduate students. Um, Talk about that and your experiences there.
1: So I really enjoy working with the graduate students because a lot of our students here are very driven. And so I've been working with a student on having a composting project around campus. I've been working with a couple grad students with smart home technology. And it's great working with all of them because they are just on top of their game with everything. Um, They're such a pleasure to work with and next semester we're actually working on trying to get students certified in the um, LEED certification, which is LEED is uh, Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design, which is a sustainability uh, credential and so we're doing a group that gets together in order to help study and help uh, memorize a lot of these terms and it can just be exhaustive if you're sitting there yourself just trying to memorize things and so we're hopefully going to be able to as a group go forward and take this test in order to get this uh, qualification Oh,
0: very nice so what have i missed anything else we need to know about dr hugo
1: well i mean yeah. i feel like i have such a fun industry where you can be so diverse in the things that you're studying and so you know i i am very fortunate that i can look at you know fun things like selfies but sustainability and you know overall community impacts and so you know i think it's just a lot of fun that um, I'm, I don't have to be stuck with studying one thing, so you, you never know the next thing that I might be having on my research agenda. I know. you
0: got all sorts of things going on. Your research is really interesting. The sustainability, B&Bs, international, food and wine. I mean, just all kinds of fun stuff, so it very is. innovative.
1: Well, so you. in
0: any event, I want to thank you for being a guest uh, and uh, sharing with our listeners some of the great things you're doing. Uh, Keep up the good work and uh, sincerely appreciate all you do to advance uh, EIU. And I also want to thank Tom Grissom, which I do not always do, but I should. Uh, He's our producer and he helps make EIU Innovate possible. So thank you, Tom.